Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. How many were encouraged by that testimony? Wasn't that good? There's a lot of ways to share Christ, but such a simple and powerful example of handing someone a track. And a track is just a little piece of paper that has information on it. The first track that John held up was the little invites we made for Taste and See. I believe there's still some more on the Welcome Center. But other tracks just have a simple plan of salvation or speak of God's love. And so, obviously, these two have a real heart for that because June came to the Lord through reading one of these tracks. And so it's not like the only solution. It's like we drop 10,000 tracks from an airplane hovering over Lansing. That's, that's not our evangelism strategy. But there is a moment in your life when you meet someone and you're able to say, hey, if you read this, God will touch your life. It has some important things on it. So John and, Ru- uh, John, John and June have a supply of tracks that they have put out in the kind of the family room right by the couches they're all clipped up there, and so we're going to just have a regular supply. So they're yours to take, they're yours to use, and you can come back, bring a friend, and bring a testimony of someone who came to know the Lord. Amen? All right. So open your Bibles, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah is prophesying and, and bringing the word of the Lord to people in exile, to people who have, have kind of in a discouraged place. And he begins to bring the promise of God into their dark place under this this idea of what's called the servant of the Lord. Now, in the New Testament, we see that Isaiah is speaking of Jesus because the, the scriptures on the servant of the Lord are quoted in the New Testament describing Jesus, that Jesus is the fulfillment of what Isaiah is talking about. So if you turn to Isaiah 42... I'm going to read the first verse, then I'm going to pray, and I'll read the rest. Verse 1, it says this. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Let's pause. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to read the Bible today. This chance to hear your word, not just in our ears, but in our hearts. To obey your word, not just in our minds, but in our life, in our lifestyle. Lord, we thank you that you are the servant of the Lord. Jesus, you are the one in whom God delights. You are the one who embodied the power of the Spirit. That your life was a a liberating, victorious march through death into resurrection. That our lives can can be that same liberating march through the death to self into the resurrection, into living for Jesus to you, Lord. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We pray that today the Spirit would manifest itself in this room, that you would open our heart, open the eyes of our heart, give us wisdom and revelation so that we might know you better. So your word might mean something to us, young and old, all of us, that we might build our lives on the foundation of your truth. For it's our desire to keep this book of the law always on our lips. 
that we would meditate on it day and night, and that we would be careful to do everything that is written in it. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Picking up in verse 2. For he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. In teaching, the islands will put their hope in him. Amen. When he says the islands, he means the the outer ring, the, the very far edges of the earth. This is what the Lord says. Listen to this. The creator of the heavens who stretched them out, he who spread the earth and all that springs from it, who gives breath to all of its people and life to all who walk on it. Listen to what the prophet is saying. This is the Lord. He created everything. He spread everything out. Everyone who walks upon it, everything that exists, that has been created by the power of God. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I want you to pause a moment. The creator, the one who gives life to everything in it, breath to everyone on it, on earth. It says, I am the Lord, and I will, just imagine this for a moment. The Almighty will come and take hold of your hand. holding hands with Jesus. That the God of miracles, the God of creation, the God who who holds everything in his head, who is all-powerful and able to do everything. That he pauses for a moment. No, he pauses for your entire lifetime and he reaches out and he takes hold of your hand. What are you going through today? What is there in your life that just seems too much? Understand, he says, I reach out my hand, I take hold of you. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, at the very beginning or the very end. The creator of the world, the one who sets life and gives breath to everyone in it, reaches out his hand. Take hold of God's hand. Yesterday I was in the hospital with Um, Ralph Spencer and his family, you guys will need to know that Ralph suffered a very serious stroke yesterday morning. Ralph has claimed to fame. He would brag on it all the time. He said, I'm the oldest person at Living Word Church. Ralph's 92 years old. Lost his wife a while back, but has persevered in joy and encouragement. If you know Ralph, you know what it's like to be encouraged. For man to look you in the eye and, and speak into your life. To be a blessing. I mean, even after he lost his dear wife, that man, he just, he rose up in his heart. He says, I'm going to be a blessing. Every day I'm here. Ralph's a pretty impressive guy. Today he's in the hospital. They were not able to fix the blockage. He, he can't speak. He's, 
We don't know what's going to happen to Ralph. 92 years is mighty wonderful, though. But the God who created him, who gave him life and breath, from the time he was born to now he's in the bed at Munster Community Hospital, is holding his hand. I mean, to his family, to all of us who love him, who feel completely helpless to, to, to do anything to help benefit him, we know that the one who did it all, who made it all, is holding Ralph's hand. He's holding your hand, too. With such power and strength. It's like one of those pictures of a, a strong father holding the hand of a little fragile child. Maybe the child can't even walk. Maybe just in his hands. This is God. This is the promise of God from the prophet. Let me finish reading it. I will keep you and make you a covenant people and a light to the Gentiles to open the eyes that are blind, to free the captives from prison and to release from the dungeons those who sit in darkness. These are not just hypothetical or even analogical, analogical? Analogous promises, like, yeah, spiritually blind. No, Jesus came and literally opened the eyes of the blind. He set free the captives. God works not just spiritually, but physically in our lives to take hold of our hands. He is with you. He is for you. When Isa came and said, I think the big song this morning is God of Miracles, my heart said amen, because we need to know that God is the God of miracles. And he doesn't just leave us to whatever life will bring. He intervenes and he's there. I am the Lord, verse 8. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Thank you very much. What is it when the, when the covenant is read? I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God. You shall have no other gods before me. God says, I won't yield my glory. I won't be content to be one of many gods in your life. To be one lifted thing among many lifted things in your life. It's a call to put God in his right place. That he alone is king and Lord. And that he will not yield his glory to another. See, the former things have taken place. What's done is done. And new things I now declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. The prophet is, is carrying something from the heart of God 800 years before the time of Christ. And he's showing a glimpse, a picture of the ultimate servant, Jesus, who would embody these words and be to us a savior. This scripture is quoted in Matthew chapter 12. I want you to see the connection. I wanted to read the Isaiah verse first because you'll see how it connects into Matthew, the gospel, the story of Jesus. Because Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus. Let's look at Matthew 12. Verse 9, it says this. Jesus, going on from that place, Jesus is moving geographically and he's moving through the gospel to show us the love of God, to show us the forgiveness of sins, and to show us that he is greater and more powerful than all things. So verse 9, going on from that place he had just been, he went to the synagogue, and a man 
with a shriveled hand was there. This man was profoundly handicapped. His hand was physically shriveled. His life was significantly limited because of this infirmity. Looking for a reason to charge against Jesus, they, the Pharisees, asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And so suddenly you get into this real-life situation where the Pharisees are using this poor, deformed, limited guy as a tool, as a pawn, not having compassion on him, not wanting to help his life, but we're going to use this guy to trick Jesus so we can charge him against him. It is a system that is profoundly manipulative and like oppressive to people on the margins, to people who need help. The Pharisees should have been the people helping the guy with the shriveled hand, but they're just going to use him. They're going to use him to put down Jesus and to sustain their power, political, military, social. It is the very thing that religion has been accused of for many centuries. That people use religious power, or the Bible even, to put down the weak and give strength to the strong. That the manipulation of people's faith, the manipulation of people's situations, is to push down the weak, to push them to the side, only to strengthen their own position. Have you been a part of anything like that in your life? Have you seen that? Well, Jesus stands in direct opposition to it. That's why Jesus says, I'm not starting a religion. I'm just asking people to follow me, to do as I do, to obey my word, to come into citizenship in heaven, to be a part of God's family. Is it lawful, they told Jesus, to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, if any of you has sheep, a sheep, and it falls into a pit. First of all, does anyone here have a sheep? No. No sheep? All right. Do you have a beloved animal? Does anyone have a beloved animal? Is it mostly dogs? Are there any beloved people that love cats? God loves you too, cat people. Don't be discouraged. Your cat don't love you, but God does. Those things can't love. I'm sorry, I'm on a tangent. I'm sure your cat loves you somewhere deep inside of its little, how do you, what's the word, cat, cat heart? What do you got? Turtles. Do turtles love back? Has your turtle ever licked your face? Is a turtle a boy's best friend? No, but good for you. What else we got besides dogs, cats, and turtles? Yes, a horse. Is a horse, of course, of course. What else you got? These people are being mischievous. What did you say? You got a snake? We're going to talk after church, me and you, about you and your pet choices. All right, snake, lizard, anything else bizarre? Turtles? Pet rocks? Yeah, your brother, your brother needs Jesus. Okay. Rooster? What do you got, young man? got a good one here. What do you got? Birds. Birds. Thank you. What kind of bird is it? A little canary? Uh, it's got pet bergs. Iceberg and a glacier. You tricked me. That was a good one. 
All right, so let's go back to our story. Can we settle down a minute? You got more animated in church when we started talking about your pets than anything else this morning. All right. So if your dog or snake or lizard, turtle or your bird, your cat, falls into a pit on the Sabbath, Jesus asks, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Then Jesus asked this question. How much more valuable, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Or fill in your example, your pet, your beloved animal. And the the Pharisees must have stopped because Jesus is cutting right to the heart again. They're trying to hang him up on a technicality. They're trying to to bring a legal case against Jesus about working or healing or doing something on the Sabbath, which is clearly in the Bible. You're you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath. Give your mind, your body, your heart a break. Give your spirit a chance to encounter God afresh. Sabbath law is, is beautiful. But Jesus is cutting to the heart. He says, now what's more valuable, this sheep or this poor guy with a shriveled hand? And he answers his rhetorical question quite powerfully. How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful, listen, to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man with the hand, stretch out your hand. So the man stretched it out, and it was completely restored. He's the God of miracles. Just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against how they might kill Jesus. Verse 15, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all that were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him, and this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. I'll read it again. This is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit in him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations put their hope. Listen, Jesus was not a weak man. No, Jesus was a very strong and powerful man. He wasn't afraid of anybody. He wasn't afraid of anything because he knew that God was greater than all things that threatened him. When someone needed to be confronted, he didn't back down. He wasn't timid. When something needed to be done, he pressed forward and he accomplished it. The power that was in Jesus' command to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to proclaim truth to manipulative, power-hungry people was unprecedented. This guy could handle himself. He was strong. But understand this. In all of his strength, he didn't stomp on anybody. He didn't crush anyone needlessly. He didn't knock over anybody unnecessarily. It says in all of his strength to bring justice to the nations, 
a bruised reed he would not break. How many people are familiar with the strength of a reed? I mean, a reed is one of those things that kind of grows out of the marshes or along lakes, right? It's where you get your lure caught when you're casting in a pond. A reed is, it's so fragile, if a bird or a, a, a duck would come and try to sit on it, it would just break the reed. The reed has no strength. It's all water. And a bruised reed, which means something that has hit the side of the reed, and it's just kind of there. A bruised reed, a slight wind, will blow a bruised reed over. Or how about a smoldering wick? Has anyone ever been like out in a camp and you're trying to build a fire with wet wood? How many people have been in that situation before? Been there, done that. It's because you weren't prepared. You should have brought some dry wood with. But anyways, if you're trying to build a fire with wet wood, you got this little smoldering flicker of a flame, right? Just a little flicker, just flickering, flickering. And if you blow on it too hard, it goes out. You're just like, you're hungry. You want to roast your hot dog or your marshmallow. And you're like, come on, little flame, come on. And every little tiny breeze is almost too much for So you're protecting it from the wind. It's this weak, frail flicker. And the scripture says that Almighty God, Jesus, who wields all the power, He is strong and mighty. This little flicker, He'll make sure it doesn't go out. Your little flicker, this little light of mine, right? Some of you are like, I got a really tiny little light. It's like a smoldering wick. It's just a tiny little flicker. God doesn't scoff at that. That little smoldering flicker is precious in God's eyes. And he protects it. And wouldn't you know that he builds it into a roaring fire? Some of you are now at flicker stage. God does not despise your little flicker. As a matter of fact, he defends it. He violently and mightily defends your little flicker. Or maybe you're a bruised reed. You were never that strong to begin with, but somehow you caught it in the side, and now it's just like this little thing and this, this reed. Go, go find yourself a pond this afternoon. Pull up yourself a reed and do a little visual aid. You give that reed just fl- Jesus doesn't stomp you out. He doesn't throw you to the side. He doesn't break you. He supports you. You little bruised reed guy. Jesus is not disgusted or, or too busy for that. The power of God has the ability to heal the sick and to command truth to the manipulative. But he also has the power to defend the weak. And that's what this is about. He's not going to shout it out in the streets. He's not going to make a big scene. He's not in his strength. He's also, he's not trying to have a greater conflict with the Pharisees. It's not his time yet to die. And so as the Pharisees attack him, he heals the man, and then he walks away. You know the Pharisees came ready for a fight, but Jesus is strong enough not to engage in unnecessary conflict. Wow. Wouldn't you love to be that strong? I mean, you have to be really strong to turn another cheek if somebody hits you, right? You have to be really strong to pray for an enemy or or, or forgive those who have hurt you or done you wrong. Jesus was strong enough to create the world, command the Pharisees, heal the hand, 
and restrain himself from conflict. I just think that's a profound image of what it's like to be strong. Wouldn't you like to be like Jesus in that way? Wouldn't you like to model his strength and power? Come on. Am I talking to anybody out there? All right. Let me thank you. That's what I needed. I need an amen from the lizard guy back there. Thank you, brother. Ultimately, the servant from Isaiah 42, the servant of the Lord, the, the, the speaking of Jesus, he, he is poised to undo all of the horrendous and degrading effects that sin has wrought on the human race. Jesus has come to restore people to their true freedom, to their true dignity that sin has stolen. I mean, think of all the stories. Think of blind Bartimaeus on the side of the road. Everyone was telling that blind guy who was desperate for a touch from God. He was so needy. He was blind. He was a beggar. The guy had nothing going. He was desperate for God. And Jesus was a big deal at that point, marching on his way to Jerusalem. And all his friends, all of his people are saying, be quiet, Bartimaeus. Shut your mouth. And Jesus hears it and stops. And he goes to Bartimaeus in his indignity and says, what can I do for you, Bartimaeus? See, the servant of Isaiah 42 and and the, the Jesus of Matthew 12 and ultimately the church who follows Christ has this role to operate in a strength that can combat manipulation and systemic injustice to the poor, that has the power to restrain itself from unnecessary conflict and has a heart to reach out to the broken and the vulnerable. Defender of the weak, that's what Jesus is. You know, every power system, in the time of Isaiah Cyrus, who defeated Nebuchadnezzar and his tribe, and he was the great king who actually let the, who sent the exiles in Babylon back to Jerusalem. Cyrus was this great emperor, this powerful conqueror. You think a smoldering wick he would not snuff out? No, he, he, he made his living at snuffing out smoldering wicks. You think a broken reed he would care about? No, he came to power by stepping on the weak and by crushing the vulnerable. Most every worldly human power structure sustains itself by stepping on other people, by putting down those that they need to steal their power so they can retain theirs. The scientists call that survival of the fittest, right? But the kingdom of God is so different. The kingdom of God says, no, it's not the survival of the fittest. The kingdom of God says God gives you strength so that you would use it on behalf of the weak. God gives you power, influence, money, thoughts, ideas, gifting, life and breath so that you might spend it on a noble, worthy cause that gives glory to God, that reflects God's true nature. 
that you would be the image of Christ on the earth, that you would spend yourself doing as Jesus did, not breaking the broken roots, but sustaining them, not snuffing out those just desperate trying to hold on, but surrounding them with protective arms and supporting them. You know, in our day, let me just give you a couple basic examples, biblical examples that play out in our day. The first thing I want to say, and the church has to emulate, has to express the heart of God in this. The first one is this. Our attitude towards the stranger, the immigrant. Right? We're not doing politics here this morning, but there's a biblical truth. And I'm not talking about just the people coming into the country. I'm talking about the new kid at school. I'm talking about the neighbor down the street. I'm talking about anybody who doesn't have the family full social structure, the safety net of others. That's who the stranger is. Those who don't have the... Some of you have been strangers. And someone took you in. Someone became family to you. Someone cared about you. And let me tell you about the stranger. The stranger is almost always other than yourself. To the Jew, it was a Samaritan. Who is the stranger in your life? I mean, school's starting, kids. I know everyone, when you get to school, everyone's jockeying for cool, right? You, gotta, you don't want to be the dorky kid in class. You don't want to be that guy or that gal. So you want to hang out and get in with the cool guys or be this sporty person or find your group. Good for you. Do it. Find it. Excel. Be as amazing as you possibly can. No question about it. But God did not give you your amazing or your social influence or your anything to spend on yourself. You find the new kid at school. You find the kid who gets picked out who doesn't have a friend. And you invite them in. And then you know what? You'll be being Jesus in your classroom. You don't need to stand up and preach a sermon. Just care for somebody who doesn't have a friend or who's vulnerable, who's on the fringes. It goes for the rest of us adults. There's people in your life at work or on your block. Who's the stranger? Who's the weirdo? Who's the oddball out? Jesus stops for blind beggars. When asked who is my neighbor, Jesus said, it's the person you don't get along with very well, the Samaritan. I love how Job says it. Job, in all of his misery, in his defense, he says, I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. Hebrews says it this way, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some have shown hospitality to who? Unaware. You don't have to know who they are or what they do or what they're about. You just have to be Jesus to them. I got one big clap over there. Thank you. Number two. Number two. Hey, next week I've invited, I've invited the director of a, a ministry called The Welcome Network. And um, he'll be here next week talking about how they help Legal immigrants get settled, and, and some of you have already helped them. You brought food, or you've done things. Our church is, is a little bit involved, and I want us to be more involved. And so I want you to catch his heart next week. So come and bring a friend. You know what? Bring a stranger. Why not? 
Number two, to widows and orphans. The Bible says that he places the lonely in families. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. That's what James says true religion is. The widow and the orphan is not just the person whose dad or husband died. We have broken families all around us. Broken is the new normal. And I think if we, if we believe it, broken is the new healthy. Because the family, the husband and the wife and the children being apart and the process of growing up together is no longer the norm. I myself was a part of a broken family. I had a single mom for a period. And so we know that those things happen. This isn't to cast shade or condemnation on broken families. We know the hardships of life. But this is to be aware of the fact that people need to be looked after. People need it. And so whether you're someone who is a foster parent or maybe you're an adoptive parent, maybe you're involved in safe families. We've done a fair amount of that in the past. The idea is to be God's heart to both young and old who need the family support, the home support that is lacking. And this is the most practical things. I mean, seriously practical things. A young man who lost his parents asked me the question, who am I going to call if I get a flat tire? Where do I go if I don't know what to do? Are we just going to like relegate that to Google? You got a phone, just Google it out there on the road. Just say, how do I fix a flat tire? Watch the four-minute video, you're good. Is that God's heart for the society and the world? For a young man? No. His mom and dad are gone. He needs somebody that he can go to. Or a young lady growing up, not having a stable mom around, how is she going to know how to protect her heart and how to healthy engagement with boys when she wants to date someone? How is she going to know that? Because she watched the Twilight series? Is that going to show her? Oh, yeah, I watched this really nice girl date vampires. I know how to date. Right? The lonely in families means being aware and being willing to meet the needs of the brokenness of our day. Come on now, you need to sign up for that if you're going to follow Jesus. I got one more little clap back there. This side over here, this side over here is pulling its weight. The rest of you, I don't know if you're just in shock or something or... I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Religion, our God, that God our Father accepts, pure and faultless is this, to look after. Look after the orphan and the widow in their distress. The third thing I want us to talk about is the elderly. I don't think our culture has the right honor and esteeming of those who are older. There's something about, like in Leviticus 19, which is where, like the second half of the commandments, of, you know, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says to what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. That's from Deuteronomy 6. The second is like it is to what? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's from Leviticus 19. Jesus is pulling from this chapter. It's a big chapter. Same chapter where he tells farmers to not pick up all the grain, leave a little on the edges so the poor people can come pick it up so they can eat. It says, rise in the presence of the aged. Show honor to those who've gone before you. When's the last time you heard someone talking about showing honor and respect 
to the elderly. I mean, let's, if we're honest, if we're honest, sometimes the elderly just seem hard for people. They don't seem to do much. They just sit there and want to talk. They, they drive slow. Ralph didn't drive slow. Lori's like, preach. How do we show honor to those who have lived a long time? Think of someone in your life who's old. Determine yourself to show honor to them. Don't be weird about it. We're not talking about you, Bill. Bill's like, ah. I'm not talking about my dad. Stand in the presence of the aged. Show respect to the elderly and revere your God. By showing respect to the elderly, you're actually worshiping God. Last thing. The disabled. Increasingly, it's just awareness in our society of those with special needs with autism things, with anything from mental disabilities to physical disabilities. Um, These are bruised reeds in many ways. The 1st of September, pastor from St. Louis, Doug Hahn, who's a part of our LifeLink network, he'll be here. They have a special needs daughter, and he's going to preach a sermon on how do we as a church rightly respond to those among us with special needs. It's going to be dynamic. He's fantastic. He and his wife have lived it. Their daughter is amazing. Funny story, she loves gifts. And he says she particularly likes, this is their daughter Emily, um, um, photo albums. So she loves photo albums. So we went down there to visit. And so we're like, okay, so we got a photo album. And I thought it'd be cool. I filled it with pictures of our family. I'm like, well, she's going to have a photo album. She might as well see, look at us, right? As good as anybody. So we get down there, we greet them, I have a gift for you, oh, thank you so much. She gets all excited, she opens it up, and she sees this photo, and, she's, and she starts throwing the photos out. <laughs> Who has ruined my photo album? Anyways, I'm sure she put photos of people she really cares about in there, so it's okay. I had to learn. You remember that? It was funny. All right, you may get to meet her on September 1st. Let me read just a verse from 1 Corinthians, and then we're going to be done. 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about the body of Christ. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. We spend a lot of time giving special treatment to presentable parts, and maybe not enough time giving special treatment to those that are unpresentable. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there shall be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. For if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, 
every part rejoices with it. The next four weeks, we're going to do it. We're doing this series called A Bruised Read. Now, if you didn't hear this sermon, you may not know what a bruised read is, but it's taken this idea from Isaiah 42, fulfilled in Matthew 12, spoken of Jesus, that the marginalized or the weak or the broken or the vulnerable are precious to God and are a vital part of our community and need to have a special heart. We need to have a special heart and inclusion of all of these things. And, and sometimes it's just an awareness, being aware of what God's heart is. And so <clears throat> that's going to be the next couple weeks. So I want to ask you as we leave, what will be your part in carrying out God's heart to care for the weak and vulnerable? What's your part? Think of your part. This is not just to everyone at large. This is to each, each member of the body. Will you welcome the new kid in school or on your block? Red, brown, yellow, black, and white. They are what? Will you show care for the widow and the orphan? Will you meet needs? Maybe God's calling you to foster or adopt or save families. Maybe he's just calling you to step in to that teenager who needs a go-to guy for flat tires and questions about life. Maybe simple as buying a backpack for some junior high kid who needs to feel geared up and good about himself as he goes back to school, but he lives in an underprivileged neighborhood, Old Kelt Gardens. Maybe you need to take on a new attitude towards the elderly. Visit grandpa. Maybe get some people, put together a band and minister in a nursing home. Plenty of them will take you. I can help you if you need help getting connected. Maybe just being more patient while you're driving down the road. You know? Seriously, it's that simple. Hit the brakes, don't tailgate, and say, bless that old guy. I, respect, I honor that man. Just say to yourself, when I'm that old, I hope I can keep it between the lines. Let your heart say something honoring instead of something frustrated. Do I need to have an altar call right now so you can repent from your wickedness? A new show of honor. Number four, is there a way, and I think us as a church, we're, gonna have, we're grappling with this now and we need to grapple with it further, to show special honor to the physically and mentally handicapped that we would somehow find a way to actively pursue God's heart in that area. Amen? All right, stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for today and your word. Are we not? God, we're grateful for the way it teaches us, right? We're grateful for the way it illustrates to us your heart. We're grateful for the way it corrects us and reminds us, God, of what it means to follow Jesus. Lord, we recognize that we ourselves are bruised reeds, that we are smoldering flames, that it wouldn't take much to finish us off but for your loving hands around us. So God, I pray, let your grace continue to abound in this place. That you would be to us that heavenly Father. That all that we lack would be found in you. God, help us as a community to be the hands and feet of Jesus. To one another for sure, but also to the world around us, God. Give us a testimony 
give us part of the testimony of Jesus. That our God, the almighty God, the creator God, the savior God, is not a brute, but he's tender, and he's compassionate, and he defends the weak, and he lifts the vulnerable to safety. God, let us live that kind of life for your glory. And Lord, I pray that we would enjoy it, that, our, that we would be filled with so much joy that we get to participate in the divine mission that we couldn't stand it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great week.